When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, Tom. So this was uh, uh, the result of a meand conversation I had with a police officer not long ago, and he was, was uh, in charge of training at a fairly large global institution. And uh, we were debating the merits of letting employees or letting anybody really test compliance training. In this episode of Compliance in the Weeds, Matt Kelly and I take up some of the unintended consequences of CCO certification, starting with training and then moving on to a wider variety of other compliance topics. I know you will find this episode useful and informative. Compliance into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions for Matt or I, please use the chat function to send us some questions. So, Matt, uh, a couple of weeks ago, or I should say last week, rather, you wrote a really interesting blog post around the CCO certification issue, but you went into the weeds about what might be some of the unintended consequences what piqued your interest on the training issue? Yeah, Tom. So this was uh, the result of a meand conversation I had with a compulse officer not long ago. And he was, was uh, in charge of training at a fairly large global institution. And uh, we were debating the merits of letting employees or letting anybody really test compliance training, meaning rather than they take actual training course, if they can pass whatever learning test you have at the end of it, then you can let them skip taking the actual training material. And uh, that came about because uh, from a webinar I was on a couple of weeks ago, people were debating that point. And several people had said they were open to the idea of letting your parties out of training under the logic that perhaps these third parties already received compliance training from their own institution. Why would you put them through that again for their time? After all, if they can demonstrate that they understand your needs, then at the very least, you could let third parties test out. So I see the sense in that. But uh, it's a different question about employees that test out. Uh, I should disclose here that this is personal to me because one once upon a time, when I had to take annual compliance training, uh, I tested myself out. Uh, it was a company that had an bribery course, and at the end, you had to take a 10-question choice uh, test. If you got, I think it was seven or eight out of the 10 correct, you could pass. So I just, and I took the 10 questions, I passed on nine, so I skipped the training, and I took myself out. And the 
was really wasn't sure that was a wise idea. Um, because Ilya about, you know, would you want to show that the employee is engaging with the material, um, cheating going on and people are passing around the multiple answers, um, you know, raising questions about should you maybe give them an essay sort of a test. Um, the more I thought about what I was doing, I became clear to me that the training I was taking was more about anti-corruption law as opposed to the policies at my specific organization. Not, not really what my training was about. My, my training course was just the FCA and the bribery act, and I've been writing about them for 20 years. I tested not almost embarrassed to admit I got one out of the 10 wrong. But I um, so we had that back and forth. Stop right there, because I do think there are some other issues about is that part of a good program or not, but just an unto itself, raised some really issues. And a lot of compliance officers are with the idea of letting employees out. I don't know what your thoughts are, but we, we went round and round on that for a while. Let me stay with your example, because I really was struck by that. And I thought you had a really interesting insight about the difference between taking the course and digesting the course from taking the test. And that they, although certainly complementary, they may be seen almost in parallel. And mm -hmm. my example was... I clipped out of 15 hours of college, all in history. Um, and the way you did it back then is you walked in, they said, here's the topic, write for three hours on it. And they had five topics that I knew a lot on, and I wrote for, you know, 15 hours over five days. But when I thought about your example, what I realized was I missed 15 hours of lectures, and I missed the interactions with my classmates and my professors or the learning part of the course. And that's what I heard you say or write about in your blog post that we really might wanna reconsider what is effective training by measuring it simply from a test perspective because I thought I heard you say um, the effective part of the training you never got because you didn't take it. You just went straight to the test and got credit for it. So that was sort of my initial observation that that maybe we need to rethink training and testing uh, some way because um, in addition to all of the points you raised uh, as well in your blog post. Well, I think that's very valid. And so I was asking my compliance friend, what, what would you want to in a compliance training unit? And he, he was saying something like maybe each employee to spend at least seconds per page reading it before they're allowed to proceed to the next one. He also talked a bit about maybe the choice format would be okay, but you really need to think about what the questions are. It's not so much that if a government official demands a bribe, I should say no. I think at this point, most sophisticated global executives would know the answer to that. You might want to train the employee on how do you actually handle a situation where the government official is soliciting the bribe and not just turn down, but, you know, 
is there a policy that they're expected to report that to the compliance officer, which I would think that you should. Um, but you know, maybe make it more about specific to the role, specific to come policy, not specific to what is the law. Um, I think that was a very good one, a very good point to raise that, you know, you really need to think about what are you testing this specific employee on or this specific role for the employee? Um, because you could indeed just give a blanket, what does the FCPA require? Is it, you know, like you can give that to any idiot on the street. And it doesn't matter if they're part of your company or not. You're testing them on the law. And, and I thought that was a very important point. Um, most of the compliance officers who I've since asked this about out on LinkedIn, it did generate a lot of interesting discussion. They were comfortable with the idea of letting a test out. They were more okay with letting a third test out if A, pass the test, B, they'll certify that my own employer has trained me in all of this stuff. And then C, if you have any additional material that you want your third party to know that they haven't already trained on at their, their own company, then they would have training and then take an extra test. But, um, and I've heard that idea around for a while now that third parties can, there's really, there is no need to have a third party CEO take your anti-corruption training. That's ridiculous. The CEO already has their own anti-corruption concerns, or they should. But have the third party certify that they're trained up to a point and they will take any addition beyond what they normally get. That all seems to make sense. Um, but then finally, they, I mean, that's all existing in an academics. Then my compliance officer friend said, but I wouldn't actually ever allow this ever. I said, well, why not? And then he said, I'm not going to certify my effectiveness of my compliance pro program and allow that at the same time. That was... You know, we've then veered into a very different conversation we should get into. It really brought up the point about CCO certifications and how uncomfortable some compliance officers implement reasonable choices in a perfect way in the real world with certification. Suddenly they're all going to say, no, I'm, I'm going to pull down every single thing and go to every extreme just because I want to be cautious while I'm certifying my program to the justice department. And we can talk about that too. It was striking that he immediately never actually going to do this because I might have to certify this to the department. I'm going to allow that while I'm certifying. No way. So that really struck me as almost an unintended consequence of the CCO certification. But if we put it in a more traditional risk management model. The risk to the CCO has increased exponentially by requiring CCO certification. So your risk management strategy must be more robust. And as part of that more robustness, it would prevent you from waiving, granting exception, uh, giving credit for, or any of those other things that, that may have been done before, because now it's, you know, your tail on the line. And, um, if you certify and you go back and see, well, you know, X percent of our workforce uh, clept out of, of the compliance training because they knew the answers from prior training, um, that's not going to look very well for you if the DOJ is reviewing that. Yeah, and I should make clear, the friend I was talking to about this, 
suffice to say, in his experience, he is no stranger to the FCPA enforcement or actions. He is no stranger to compliance monitors. Um, he actually ever had to certify anything. But now that the Justice Department about that, uh, he did basically say, I wouldn't allow a test out option unless the department gave my company a specific waiver that that would be okay and you can still certify that you have an effective program. Absent that document, from the department, he said, it's like, no, I'm, I'm never going to allow that sort of thing. Um, brought up a good point that he is fairly senior in the compliance function at his large company, but he is not the chief compliance officer. And so is he going to have his boss's boss, the CCO, certify to the department, hypothetically, they're, they're not under FCPA enforcement action right now, but no the business there and they know it could always happen. But he basically said, am I going to have my boss's boss, the CCO, certify that a department while I'm making that choice? I don't think that would be wise. I don't think the CCO would like it if I did that. If I were a CCO, I wouldn't like it either. And he started talking about the need for sub-certifications and sub-certifications. And that, I think, is one big unintended consequence we might see. Um, this is not uncommon in the Sarbanes-Oxley compliance world where the CFO has to certify to the accuracy of the financial statements. Now, this does not prepare every single line item financial statement. He or she does not review every transaction. So the CFO certifies, but before he or she does, um, they will have the VP of finance sub-certify, turn around and have the corporate controller sub-certify, who will go to the department CFOs throughout the enterprise, they sub-sub-sub-certify, and down and down and down we go with all of these chains of sub-certifications for SOX compliance. Very easily see a similar dynamic taking root if suddenly the in ethics and compliance uh, realms realizes, well, whoa, this certification stuff is for real. I'm not going to put my own neck out there unless all of my subordinates have already given me adequate documentation and protection. So I'm going to have them sub-certify. And, and here we go. Um, of mixed minds about whether that is good practice or it is just more paperwork. But I have zero doubt that eventually that sort of thing like going to happen. And I think it's going to become quite widespread if CCO certification really does become a big widespread and fixture of Justice Department enforcement. Uh, I would just uh, only disagree to speed up that time frame uh, because I think that's what will start immediately. Uh, part of it is because we have seen that exact same model that you delineated from Sarbanes-Oxley, and now we've had that model in place for, for nearly 20 years. So people are aware of that model. Uh, I would say comfortable using that model. Everyone understands the reason for the model um, to the point where at a major oil company, I had to certify as a lawyer doing contracts that 80% of my contracts met the Sarbanes-Oxley requirement for independent review and documentation of that review. And then, you know, it rolled right up the chain. Uh, and that was just for the contracts. So mm -hmm. I can see multiple sub-certifications. Uh, if you're in a, uh, you name the major billion-dollar company that's gone through a FCPA enforcement action in the past 30 days, uh, I can see uh, with hundreds of compliance officers or a major bank who's continually in trouble 
who used to run a stage company, well, um, you know, perhaps <laughs> you're going to have a lot of certifications all rolling up, but that model is, is in place. And I, uh, I see that as a consequence. And then I guess, Matt, the, the thing I wanted to, to see is based on the conversation and based on what we both believe will be the situation for a CCO, will we see uh, CCOs sort of tying down all of these requirements in every area beyond training so that uh, where something may have been a waiver granted or uh, some other uh, exception granted, will those now go by the wayside for a company in an enforcement action where a CCO is going to have to certify? Well, I think that's very possible. And we've been talking a lot about certification. My friend, he introduced another element is like, let's say you have a independent compliance monitor on the edge of your desk for the next three years. And how would you make these decisions about your program with that monitor watching your every move? Um, you know, you, you basically compliance office friend, he was saying, I would not allow a test out. I would require certifications, you probably go to all the lengths that you were just talking about once monitor there. Um, so at the very least, he could say, you know, clearly wasn't scofflawing any of this issue because I was cognizant of the monitor. I was doing everything. And then he said, and then the monitors, well, now I, I might have discretion to dial back some of my Monian requirements, like no tests out play out how, you know, you didn't have a test out clause or policy while the monitor was there. Monitor leaves, you allow them to out, you have another up sometime in the future. The Justice Department is looking back and they see that the key thing, the key event that led you to start dialing back some of your mortgage clients requirements was that the monitor left. Well, that's going to look terrible, second enforcement action in your future. Um, and I, I mean, we've all, all seen this companies where they have a very good looking compliance program and the integrity agreement and monitor leaves and six months later, legal and compliance and half the compliance teams put out the pasture and, you know, you sack a whole lot. If you then have another incident in the future, in hindsight, doing all, all of this dialing back right after the after the integrity agreement ended really bad. So he said, I do think that um, I'm going to always have an incentive to be a real hard ass about it. And, and he didn't really like that because you do want compliance measures reasonable, that are proportionate, um, but everything reasonable and right up until you have a brew up. And then everybody's pouring over every decision with the microscope and looks what looked reasonable and proportionate at one time looks like you were kind of trying to cut corners or being, you know, trying to skate. So he's, he really did have some very uncomfortable thoughts about how difficult compliance life under CCO certifications. Uh, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I was thinking about simple control overrides. Uh, yes. Will you allow control overrides? If you uh, control override is granted by someone outside the compliance function, uh, how is that? Is it simply documented uh, that the control was overridden and the reason? Does that person now have to certify to something 
to the chief compliance officer or other compliance professional. Uh, I think that uh, I've used the term exceptions, but that I wanted that to include control override so that um, it could really uh, take away from, as you said, a reasonable proportional compliance for an organization, because you're absolutely right. Looking back, hindsight's going to be 2020, and whatever you did then is going to be reviewed in the context of what happened and five, three or five years down the road. You know, Tom, one closing thought that I just want to harp on, because I've harped on it before, but I think it's worth up on, is really, if we want to go down the road of CCO of the program, which I'm not, not philosophically opposed to, I'm not sure how it's going to work. Okay, maybe it could. The Justice Department needs to put out a formal statement about how this is going to work, because without it, the rest of us in compliance officer land are, you know, we're biting our fingernails, wondering how is this going to work? Am I going to get it? About what about the next guy and their enforcement action? Are they going to get it? Um, we can't have something so significant with so many implications just be discussed in the form of a speech given by Assistant Attorney General Kenneth Polite, who I do think is a good AAG. I think his heart is in the right place. I think he's an ally of compliance officers, but this is a big policy thing. It policy treatment. We need some guidance that we can all stare at that's printed and not just rely on speeches from a high-level Justice Department official who might say, this isn't really going to be out to bite you in the rear end. I I don't doubt that they mean that, but there are a dozen different ways that this bite you in the rear end because it's a big thing with a lot of sharp teeth in it. So I want to end with a question not for you to answer, but to ponder upon. Because in thinking about your blog post and uh, this podcast, uh, the current CCO requirement applies to companies that have gone through an enforcement action, have settled with the Department of Justice, where the uh, DOJ is going to require it. It's not mandatory, it's discretionary, but uh, they've at least in one or two now put that requirement in. Could this be a stepping stone to adding to the hallmarks of an effective compliance program CCO annual certification. Once again, uh, you don't have to answer that, but I would ask you to consider that because I would like to come back and ask you that at a later date. Well, Tom, when we get back to it, we could talk about that all day long. It's an excellent thing to think about. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in the Weeds. We're going to link to Matt's blog post in the show notes. So I hope you will check that out as well. I hope you'll join Matt and I again for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds next week. Before we leave, I'd like to tell you about a great limited podcast series that I'm running called Never the Same. In this podcast series, I visit with Exeter CEO Brandon Daniels, and we take a look at five key areas of business that have changed forever after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The podcast series is Never the Same. It's available on the Compliance Podcast Network or wherever great podcasts are listened to. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.